0: You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I
1: had this nagging feeling. A
0: great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. And today, I got to tell you, I'm absolutely honored to be with this guy right here. I've watched him my whole life. And uh, just, a, you know, as a child, getting to watch you play baseball, it's an absolute privilege to get to sit here. Well, you know, I,
1: you. I don't know if you're listening or not, but I'm going to ask you right how old are you?
0: I'm 41.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a baby face. <laughs>
0: I'm 41. In
1: right, so you were in, in the middle of my. Uh, my career, yeah, in my prime, yeah. yeah. So
0: yeah. for those of you that don't know, I, I'm not even going to ask for those that don't know, because they know <laughs> who Ozzie Smith is, the people watching <laughs> this. But, man, it is an absolute pleasure All to right. have you here. And right. We're going to talk about the Mutual Awards. We're going to talk about your career. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk a little golf. But i got to ask you. I was a little disappointed that you didn't do the flip when you came in here
1: today. <laughs> well, you know, it's a little tougher to do that these days, Brad. It, uh, you know, as you get older, the body doesn't react the That's same right. way. And, you know, uh, the last one that I did was, uh, wasn't was pretty, you know. <laughs> so right? I decided, you know what, it was time to, to time retire to, that as well.
0: Time to hang it up. So for those of the, that may not know you're back, I mean, you are Ozzy Smith. You are the mm-hmm. wizard. and uh, But you're born in Mobile, Alabama. I know you moved from there mm-hmm. when you were six to uh, Los Angeles. But – what, what made you the man you are today?
1: Well, you know what, I, I think it all has to do with um, it all has to do with the people that, that you surround yourself with. You know, when you're, when you're hearing the same message day in and day out, uh, it, it, it's what, f- what f- forms your life. Uh, my mom used to always tell me that no matter what it was that I chose to do in my life, do it to the very best that I could, no matter what that was. and always took that to heart. And then when I, you know, when you start going to school, if you have the people that are preaching that same message, which I was fortunate enough to have coaches and teachers who preach the same thing, be the very best that you can be at whatever you choose to do in your life. And I think that that's really where it all comes from, is believing and knowing that if you work hard to try and do the right thing, good things usually happen. That doesn't mean things are perfect. Um, there are gonna be pitfalls, there's ebb and flows, there's up and downs. So you just you you learn to accept the things that that you don't necessarily that aren't necessarily good things, but you learn from them. You know, whatever mistakes you make in your life, you learn from them and hope you don't make that mistake again. It's just like playing baseball. You know, every error or whatever, what you do is you learn from that error and try not to make that same mistake um, as you go forward. And you try and limit yourself to those mistakes and things usually turn out pretty well.
0: And I know you're a humble guy, so this will probably be a, a weird question for you, but like, when did you know you were different?
1: Well, I don't know if I ever knew that I was different. I just knew that for my size, I had to always prove that I was worthy. You know, I think that what happens to people now when they have success is that if you make it to the pinnacle, you know, which for us is with baseball is, you know, once you make it to the big leagues, guys think, well, I've made it. To me, that's when the, the hard work really starts. It's to prove that you're worthy of being in the big leagues. Yeah. And so my fear was always that there was always somebody that was better. There was always somebody else that was coming. And so that meant that I had to be more consistent at what I did every day to prove my worthiness. And that as a goal in baseball, it's always to be able to play as long as you possibly can. And, and in baseball, that was to play into your 40s. Yeah. And um, you know. so that was really kind of my, my, my driving thing. I, I had a family that I also had to try and provide for. Um, not just my immediate family, my kids and everybody, but everybody in your family. When you come up, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles and for most black athletes, it's the success of the family lies with you, the success and the failure, you know? So that's another responsibility that falls upon you that um, shouldn't, but it does. You know, if I fail, they fail. So failure for me was never an option. I, I had to continue to work hard till the very day that I couldn't play anymore to, to prove my worthiness and to make sure that, you know, uh, my life life was better for my family.
0: Yeah. I've talked to lots of athletes in the past, and they said it's like, okay, most people in our minds, right, we think, okay, once you get there, you're there. Mm-hmm. But I think what I've heard, it's actually the – it's just beginning, right? Yes, once you made it, it, it to the majors.
1: It, it is because, you know, it, it, when you become successful and you – You start getting compensated and you start getting these big contracts. To me, it's proving the worthiness of that contract that's what's important. Um, And so that's what made me take ground balls every day. Because I was afraid that if, if I didn't or if I took it for granted that that could be taken away at the drop of a hat, you know? Uh, one throw or one, one somebody sliding into you at second base could, could end it all, you know? So I never wanted to walk away from what I did feeling that, hey, I left something out there. I know that when I left the game in 1996 that I had given it my all. Um, I had worked extremely hard to be the very best that I could be, which was that thing that we talked about earlier, uh, that was a part of my, uh, my youth, you know, making sure that I did not take anything for granted. And I know that when I walked away in '96, I hadn't taken anything for granted. I had nothing to be ashamed of, um, and that I got the most out of my God-given talent.
0: Unbelievable career. So walk <laughs> us through. I watched uh, this weekend. Me and my boys watched some Ozzy Smith stuff on YouTube. <laughs> it's kind of. And I have a funny story about this, this spring training. I'm going to share next, but. So 1996, the All-Star Game. Talk to us about that standing ovation you yeah. got in the All-Star Game.
1: Well, you know, there's always this um, negative connotation for fans and stuff in Philadelphia. They have a bad reputation of, of not being good fans. They boo Santa Claus. You know, they <laughs> boo their mother and all of that. But, you know, 1996 and all the places that I played, I think that the people really appreciated what I brought every day. You know, um, that didn't mean that we won every day, but they appreciated the effort. And especially when you're going out there every day as a professional, my job is to entertain the people that pay their money. They come to be entertained, you know. So um, I I didn't feel that it was fair to them if I didn't go out there and give my best every day. And as I said, it didn't mean that we won every day, but the effort was there every day. And, uh, you know, I tried to spend my 19-year career giving the same effort every day. And here again, I reiterate that, didn't mean that we won, but I did the very best that I could do that day and, uh, and stuff. And so 1996, the final All-Star game, uh, after having made that announcement um, and getting a standing ovation from the people, I think meant that they appreciated the effort and, and stuff that I brought each and every day, whether it was in Philadelphia, whether it was in Montreal, whether it was in Chicago, um, uh, Houston, and th- they appreciated. It, and uh, that was important to me.
0: Yeah, I think too. I mean, I love watching those things. It just gave me chills watching it. It is. It's the exclamation point on the career. So, mm-hmm. I got to share a story. Um, I was a guest of Jim Edmonds at spring training one year. Mm-hmm. Got my wife at that time. I had three boys, and uh, we're walking around, and I there's Ozzy Smith. I'm thinking my childhood hero. I'm talking mm-hmm. to the kids, and they're like, "That's the guy that does the flip." And you know, so I'm thinking <laughs> this is gonna be cool, right? So we had the pass. We were in by mm-hmm. all you guys, and. And they walk up, and I'm thinking, they're going to ask Ozzy for his autograph. This is awesome. And they looked over at you, and they looked up. And they said, Mr. Smith, you know where Yachty is? <laughs> and I'm like, you got to
1: be a, yeah, a, I uh, wanted to in a It's hole. a different generation yeah. and uh, and stuff. And Yachty is certainly one of those uh, those people that have um, continued the, the Cardinal tradition. Um, here, you know, we're so, so fortunate in this in this organization to have had people that have really led the way and here again, led it by example, yep. being very consistent at what they do. And, um, you know, it, it makes you proud to be a part of an organization that has such a rich tra- tradition and, and have players that, you know, you can look back and say, Hey, you know what, that was, he was a, a integral part of my of my youth yeah. and, and stuff. And I think that's what your boys are yeah. experiencing. And just like, you know, you, you had a chance to experience that, but growing with, with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, it's just, it, it is the tradition when you think about, you know, you wear Smith one on the back, mm-hmm. but you wore that Cardinals on the front. That's right. What did that mean to you to get to represent? I mean, you come here from the, the San Diego Padres in 1982, and now you, you get to wear the Cardinals logo. What cool. was that like?
1: No, oh, it's it? I mean, it's, it's everything, you know, because it allows you to, um, to, to reminisce and think. And for me, it was always about making sure that I represented that, that birds on the bat. First of all, it starts with, with you as a person, you know, being proud or having the, um, the intestinal fortitude to want to be, um, want people to be, to be proud of the, the, the effort and stuff that you give. And wearing those birds on the bat. Meant everything to me because there was Gibson, there was Brock, there was Stan, there was Red, all of these people that came before you, who have stood out in this organization and represented this organization very well. That's a, you know that's a that's a line of people who, from a traditional standpoint, or were at the top of their class, and you know to be a part of that and and be considered a, a St. Louis Cardinals with those birds on the bat, which I think is one of the most unique uniforms in all of baseball. It was very, very proud. So when I came over here, when I got traded in 19 um, in um, the winter of uh, 1981 for Gary Templeton, who was probably one of the most talented players ever don a pair of spikes, you know, a true five, hmm. two player, you know, there's pressure that goes with that yeah. at, at coming into a situation um being expected to fill a void. And uh, the one thing that I had to, you know, that I really had to uh, control myself with was was the fact that I could only be me and continue to to do what I had done to that point. And that was really my goal to to come over here because I, you know, even today as I go around and a lot of my friends now, we talk about the fact that when I got traded, they said, they traded Gary Templeton for who? <laughs> they go, w- you know, what, what kind of deal was that? And uh, and so now we have a laugh One of the about the greatest it. in yeah, the history. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a laugh ab- about it because at the time they didn't really know, um, you know, they didn't know a whole lot about me. All they knew that I wasn't as good an offensive player as Gary Templeton okay. was. Yep. I was a pretty good defensive player, but my uh, offensive prowess was nothing – uh, like a Gary was going to present and, I, and to this day he's still the only guy to get hundred hits in the National League from both sides of the plate you know so when you when you get traded for a talent like that there's there's always pressure to be able to come out and perform and perform at the level that people expect you and and perform at the level that you expect of yourself yep. you know so that was um, that was real challenging for me but it was a challenge that I welcomed because I knew that if I continued to do the things that I had done that had gotten me here, there was no reason for me not to be a productive part of something that was a, a, a tradition that was very, very rich and winning. Yeah. And and you know when I played in San Diego, um, it was a revolving door, and so I wasn't. It wasn't a real good um, um, uh, situation as far as winning winning was okay. concerned. So those are questions that I had am I I really a winner you know and so when you come to an organization such as the St. Louis Cardinals you know that you're going to have an opportunity to win and to prove that you are the player that you think you are and the player that the people think you can be
0: thanks for listening to the Circuit of Success I am your host Brett Gilliland every single week we get to come to you and it's just our honor to get to bring you great guests great information to help you live the best life that you possibly want to live Whatever it may be, if you want to live the dream or work the dream, whatever it may be, we're just thankful that you tune in every single week on the Big 550 KTRS. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. You talked about personal expectations and am I a winner? You know, I've heard some people talk about they just wanted to come out and they wanted to play in the majors. You've heard mm-hmm. some people say, I want to win a World Series or some people, I want to be a Hall of Famer. What was your thought process about your career? Did you have those goals? I mean, what was the high-level goal that you wanted to to become as a baseball player?
1: Well, the high-level goal was to experience what it is to be a gold glove winner, a silver slugger, and the ultimate to get to the World Series. You know, when you talk about the Hall of Fame, I think that's something that comes if you do those other things day in and day out. You know, those are the, the, that, the, the stuff that you can control, the things that I could control was how I played every day. And if I played consistently enough every day, all of those things would take yeah. care of themselves. Yeah. You know, certainly there are things that we think about, yeah. You know, winning my first gold glove, you know, that was one of the goals that, at some point in time. I was fortunate enough to win 13. To win a Silver Slugger, I, I won that one in 1987. And to get to the World Series, I experienced that in 1982, I experienced that in 1985, and I experienced that in 1987. And there are some guys that spend 20, 25 years in, in, in the big leagues and never experienced that. So I feel very fortunate and very lucky that I was able to experience um, those type of things. Whitey Herzog and the St. Louis Cardinals gave me that opportunity to experience those things. And um, you know, you, I can't say enough about, it. I couldn't do it myself. I had to have great teammates. And I was fortunate enough to play on some good teams. You know, I don't care how good you are; you're only as good as the people that are around you. Mm. And I've always, I've always espounded that I want to make the sign of a great player is his ability to make the people around him better. You know, so I've always wanted to uh, to, to lead by example. The way I go out there every day, I've I was questioned by. One of one of my teammates who was a great player says, Well, why do you take so many ground balls every day? Well, you know, it's 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 what I do. It's 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 the way I lead. You know, if 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 my teammates see me doing it every day and and reaching great heights, then that to me is showing them the way that it it should be done if you're going to 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 remain at a high level. And uh, it's always my goal to play at as high a level as I possibly could, and I, I think I did that for 19 years.
0: All ships rise with the tide, right? That's and, right. You know, like you said, lead by example. Mm-hmm. So walk us through for you know guys like me that never got to experience what you experienced, but you're on deck, and mm-hmm. then you're going to go in the batter's box. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the two different mindsets, or maybe they're the same mindset, but what are you thinking when Ozzy Smith's on deck taking his warm-up stuff what are you thinking?
1: Well, you know, here again, I, I think all of the hard work is like done in the off season or is done down in the cage. For me in the field, we'll take the field first. Everything that I did in the field was reactionary. You operate better out of your subconscious mind. So it's always trying to keep yourself in that subconscious state of, reacting to what you see the body reacts to what it sees so you want to do that as natural as as much and as consistently as you possibly can you know allow your athleticism to be what drives you you know so from a hitting standpoint because i was not a great offensive player and i didn't hit with a lot of power
0: Says the guy with, like, what, 2,890 yeah. hits
1: or <laughs> yeah. something? Yeah. yeah, but, you know, that here again, that, that, that came from, from working extremely yeah. hard. I, I mean, I think I was given the opportunity to, to learn the art of hitting here at the big leagues, and I think that for most guys, if they're given the opportunity as a professional, they're figure, you'll figure it out. You know, uh, does it take a lot of work? Yeah, it takes a lot of work, but you've got to be willing to make that commitment. And I was willing to make that commitment. You know, so wh- when I'm on the on-deck circle— and say I'm hitting second or whether I'm hitting first, my job is to try and see where I can first pick that ball up from his hand. Because as I mentioned, the body reacts to what it sees. That's right. If the body is not seeing it, a lot of times for guys who aren't hitting, the first thing somebody says, is, well, put your hands here, get your hands there. No, 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 no. The first thing that you do is to make sure that the guy is seeing it. Because if he's not seeing it, the body is 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 not reacting naturally you're 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 fighting it. Right. and you don't want So are you f-
0: watching it from here you're watching Yes the you're watching
1: his warm ups and where he releases the yeah. ball because the guys that hit 36370 are guys that see the ball longer their vision is probably 2010 2015 25 vision wow so you know when th- that's what they all have in common so for us that have 2020 vision you know uh, we we may be lucky enough to hit 300 or whatever, but you never reach that 320, 330, and that's because you you're not seeing the ball, you're not seeing the ball as long. So that is really the goal is to be able to follow the ball and track the ball as deep as you as as you can, uh, so that the body can do what it does.
0: That's a great perspective. I've never thought of it, and I you know, played baseball growing up. But you, you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, if you see it longer.
1: That's right There's I, I, a much
0: greater likelihood of success of
1: success and yeah. and you know for guys with with power when guys have power they don't have to they can wait longer when you have power when you don't have power you've got to you've got to be able to 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 generate something that's going to get you into the flow of yeah. it you know you can't you can't stay back there as long so that's one of the things that you're fighting when you don't have a lot of power but Learning what a pitcher's pattern is, you know, sitting down and being able to study scouting reports or figuring out how it is they're trying to get you out are the little things that you have to do as a small guy to be able to compete compete at the the major league level on a daily basis. So when you think about the pitchers, who was the – What
0: we would know, as the fans would know, is one of the best pitchers, but somebody you just love to go out and dominate.
1: No, no. (laughs) You know, I I came up at a time where you didn't really dominate pitchers (laughs) because, to give you an example, you're you're facing Nolan Ryan. You're facing Fergie Jenkins. You're facing Tom Seaver, J.R. Richard, Steve Carlton. The list just goes on and on of guys who, not necessarily blazers, but guys who could move it up and down, in and out, and change speeds. I miss one Ryan
0: too. I think his hands are about oh, that yeah. big. Yeah.
1: Well, JR, J.R. Richards are bigger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so when they finish uncoiling, it's like they're handing it to you. Yeah. And so uh, that that was always part of the challenge. Now, as a hitter, when you don't have to think too much, it's easier. When you here again, you're just reaction, you're reacting. Yep. You know, your natural instincts are taking over. Fastballs. Guys get here because they're good fastball hitters. They didn't get here, this guy got here because he was a great breaking ball hitter. You learn to become a breaking yeah. ball hitter, or off-speed hitter once you're here, but you're here because you can hit the fastball. Not much thinking there. Right. You know, so you always hear the story that if a guy throws the ball hard and it doesn't have any movement, it gets killed. Yeah. You gotta that's why they talk about movement is so important. You gotta have movement because guys here, it doesn't matter if you can shoot if you shoot it out of a cannon, there's somebody that can hit it. Somebody's gonna hit it. So you 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 not only have to have a great fastball, but you have to have movement with that fastball because guys are are, are that good at, at their craft too, at hitting.
0: We think of a Greg Maddox, a guy never right. overpowered anybody, but was well, one but of the but was
1: very, very smart. And his thing, most pitchers, their goal is to keep you off balance, keep you off balance and keep you thinking, keep you guessing. And when he can keep you guessing, um, and, and this is a cat and mouse game that goes on all the time. When you figure out how he's trying to get you out and you start having some success against him, now you have forced him to now have to change the way he goes about his. But if a pitcher continues to get you out the same way, there's no reason for him to change. So the only way that you're going to change is you have to do something different, which brings me to a point that we're probably going to get to with shifts, shifts in the game. As a professional athlete, no team should be able to take and put eight or nine guys on one side of the field and say, hey, I dare you to be able right. to hit the other way. You, it the other way. Right. you know, and people say, bunt. You, you don't necessarily have to bunt. You just have to make an effort to be able to hit the ball the other way. Right. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to change. And you got, as an athlete, you can take an inside pitch and hit it the other way. I've watched guys do that all the time. Right. I've done that. But there has to be a commitment on behalf of that athlete to say that I dare you to put everybody on one side of field, and it's, 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 it's demoralizing to sit and watch this thing they call a shift. They put everybody over there, and you don't make an effort to figure out how to hit the ball the other way. Yeah. It
0: is mind-blowing.
1: It is mind-blowing to, to me to just continue to hit a guy standing in short right field who gets your ground ball, he throws you out at first base. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I talked to another uh, a high level major league baseball player, one time, and he said he would take before spring training started, he would actually take almost a month and only work like, on slapping it across. Hitting
1: the, the, the ball the other yeah. way because I want you to, to try and take that pitch away and roll over on it so I can get a ground ball to my second base. Right. I want you to do that. Yeah. And if it takes you 30 years to figure that something's wrong, right? <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: You know, so if he's going to try and get me out away then I got to figure out a way to hit the ball the other way and then show him that, okay, now you're going to come inside. Now you got to come back inside. And for guys that, that have some success, say, you know, you hit a couple home runs, the way that you bring the ball back to you when they start pitching you away is that you got to, you got to hit it that way. No, that's going to take some patience. Sure. You know, then they, they, you're not going to hit it that way one time, and they're going to say, well, now nah, I'm going you know, I'm, I'm to change. So they go, you got to prove to them that you can hit the ball that way. And what, they, what do they do? Yeah. They make the adjustment and say, well, okay, he's looking away. Now I'm going to try and get him out of the That's how you bring the ball back sure. to you. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't continue to reach out there when they're throwing you hard away and the ball's moving to try and take that ball and pull it you got to go with that pitch. And, you know, most of the successful hitters, if you're a baseball fan, you watch guys who have that, that ability to hit the ball the other way and uh, force, that, force that pitcher to make, make, make an adjustment on the, on the mound. This is Brett Gilliland with
0: Circuit of Success. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. Let's talk about these Musial Awards. Mm-hmm. November 17th, the uh, St. Louis Sports Commission. Uh, if you're not aware of it, November 17th, Sports Commission has the Musial Awards, which have honored people, I mean, just great people. Arnold Palmer, we were just talking about, was there mm-hmm. a couple years ago. You and I were both there. And this year, they're uh, Jim Tomei and Ozzie Smith. You're getting, you're getting honored. <laughs> so talk to <laughs> us about, one, Stan Musial. And then two, the mutual awards.
1: Well, here again, you know, when uh, when you think of the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, Stan is the one that the the name that stands out. You know, uh, his his reputation, the way he carried himself, his professionalism, his greatness as a player, and and the the work that he did in a community, that giving back, uh, which is such an important part of what we all do. You know, you talk about living in a community, well. I want to be proud of the area in which I live, you yeah. know. So I, th- I feel that it's important for me to give back, which is what I've always tried to do. Um, you know, that, that was one of those things that was instilled very early on, too, is that one of the most important talents in life is the ability to give back. And so, um, you know, giving back to a community here that's so much enriched my life and my family's life uh, has been an easy thing for me to do um, and stuff. So receiving that award that bears his name, I think speaks to the respect that people have for what you've, what you've done and, and, and what you continue to do. You know, this is a, it's, it's not something you do temporarily. It's, it's, it's a way of life. And if I want the community that I live in uh, to be a good community and and something I can be proud of, then I have to be a part of it. And so, you know, you indulge yourself. And uh, I've always tried to, to help as many of the organizations as I possibly could here in the organization. For me, the, you know, the last seven or eight years, I've had a lot more time to spend with the program that, um, that I'm pretty proud of, uh, the PGA Reach Foundation, which exposes kids to the, the game and the business of golf. Growing up in South Central Los Angeles, I was never exposed to the to the game of golf. I didn't start playing that until after I retired. But I realized that for a lot of these kids, you know um, especially in the inner city it's either baseball or basketball or 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 football, and that's all they know and There are a lot of other great things out here that you can do other than than, than play football, baseball or basketball and and business wise that would give them some opportunities that they never knew existed. So it's exposing those kids at an early age. And we use golf as a hook, but it's really about education, educating kids. uh, And we feel that the longer we keep kids in the classroom, hopefully the better citizens we're able to produce. And in in producing better citizens, hopefully you can produce and and make a better community.
0: Well, you did an amazing job, and I had lots of people that knew we were doing this today. That said, please thank Ozzy for his work and the PGA and bringing mm-hmm. the PGA Championship to town. And
1: that was man, a fun week. How did St. Louis do that week? <laughs> that was. I a was break. worn out
0: by Sunday. I can't. I imagine what I was you were there.
1: Like. I mean, I was there from from Monday to yeah. Sunday, and uh, you know, we it's, people are still buzzing about it. And uh, it's not until you have something like that that you realize. Right. And I don't think that people really realize coming up, leading up to that, at how big this was. You know, yeah. it's the 100th, the only time it's going to happen right. once. And so um, it really didn't hit me until, you know, I was walking through the gates. And if you've ever gone to Belle Reve, you know that, uh, you know, where the entrance is. But they had transformed this thing into it's something that was just, it was something that we had, I'd never ex- experienced I knew they were going to make some changes right. but I didn't know they were going to a couple hundred thousand square feet uh, or whatever it was buildings and yeah. all of this I mean it was it was an amazing transformation of uh, of a place that didn't look like the place where I'd play golf right. you know so and, and I think that one of the most important things was um at how they were able to move people from place to place yeah. and that was you know that was the the real concern well you know you're not you're not going to have a whole lot of parking space but they were able to get people from the place where they got on the bus 15 minutes later you're in the venue right that was, was unbelievable that was amazing to me and i you know all the people that the transportation they, that that were a part of putting that together i mean that's really where a lot of the credit goes yeah. you know because there were uh, there were people on top of people and well, it was fun. It and was you a fun You have Tuesday. Week. You see that rain. it like, oh. oh, yeah. ended up being a great week. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you did an amazing job. St. Louis. It wasn't just. A job. It wasn't just me. Yeah. You know, it was everybody. Everybody uh, uh, took part in that, and um, you know, uh, it's it, it, it was a team effort. And I, you know, I get a lot of the credit because you know um, my name was there and and stuff. But it was everybody doing their part yeah. to make sure that we here in this city show what a great sports city this is. Yeah. And so everybody deserves a hand on that.
0: So how about St. Louis and soccer?
1: Uh, I'm, you know, like I'm a baseball player you, and now a golfer. I yeah, don't know much about Yeah, soccer. I don't know a whole lot about soccer and stuff. But I, here again, I, I, it would not surprise me that when you, when you look at, at what's happening and the interest that people have had in having a soccer yeah. team here, um, I think that that would, uh, it, it, it really is something that would, would go over extremely well yeah. here because I think we've been, it's something we've been pushing for for a long time. Uh, I'm not involved in it yet, but maybe it's time. Right.
0: <laughs> time to get Ozzy to lace up some. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the guy goes to play his baseball and then he decides he wants to play golf and retires. Yeah, and now right. he tells me earlier he's a four handicap. You know, you, well, you make a lot here, of people like me mad. No, well, here
1: <laughs> here, here again, you know it's tougher to 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 get good at the game as 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 you age, and so, you know, I'm still uh, working on those little things, you know, chipping and putting. It's just missing closer. (laughs) I'm still missing too far to get myself down to to a scratch, and I don't know if I want to make uh, get to scratch because you can't make any money. You can't make any money at a four. (laughs) You know, so it's hard to make money. So anyway, you know, it's one of those things that uh, as a professional athlete. Once you retire, um, there's a real void in your life. And so golf fills that void yeah. because you're competing against yourself, you're competing against the course, and you're competing against people. And so that's why so many guys gravitate to the game of golf. Yep. So what was the off season like for Ozzy Smith? Um, a typical offseason? Yeah. Um, See, if last we were, game ends? You, and in, in, what Okay, was it like? ends. You take off probably about two weeks to try and – Heal as you as much as you possibly can and for me after 1985 I met a guy by the name of Mackie Shilstone I was introduced by Mike Claiborne and, and Mackie Shilstone took Michael Spinks from a light heavy to heavyweight and one of the things that I always had to deal with because of my size was maintaining whatever it was that I was able to put on in the off season. so Through Mackie, what I was able to do um, is combine nutrition and weight training, which would hopefully allow me to remain stronger for a longer period, both halves. And so um, I I would go down to New Orleans and get my program set. Um, I'd spend two, maybe two and a half to three weeks down there with him, working, working. And then I would come back. Here and continue my program here until I went to spring training.
0: Was that normal then for people to have? I mean, because now, you know, everybody has a coach. And they yeah, have to it follow. was
1: a little, you know, it, it was a little ab- abnormal at the yeah. time for, for something like that. But I knew that that was something that now that I could afford it, it would, it would do nothing but prolong my career. Mm-hmm. And I think meeting Mackey in 1985, which was also a year that I tore my rotator cuff which people ask me, well, what is my greatest achievement? My greatest achievement was going from 1985 to 1996 with a torn rotator cuff while at the same time still winning gold gloves. Hmm. It's easy to play when you're not hurt. It's easy. Show me somebody who has the ability to play around an injury like that. That's a big one. And still play at a high level, and I'll show you a great one. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So what's, what's your purpose in life now? I mean, you've accomplished so
0: much stuff in your career, you know, on the field and off the field, but what what's Ozzie Smith's purpose My
1: purpose is just to, to be me and continue to do the things that, that I've done to this point. You know, hopefully make people um, aware of how important it is to, to work, especially kids, how important it is to work hard to be the very best that you can be, whatever it is you choose in your life. You know, work hard to uh, to do that. Don't leave any stone unturned and don't walk away from Whatever it is you do feeling that you did not do your best tomorrow's not promised to you, right? so Today ask yourself today. Did I do the very best I could do today? And if that answer is yes There's nothing. There's nothing more
0: So if you could pick one person to have dinner with today, who would that person be and why?
1: today um, let me say, you know, one of the greatest nights I had in my life was I had a chance when I had my restaurant in Westport Plaza. One night we got a call. We had the fight. It was um, um, Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield. And we got a call that said, Muhammad Ali's in town and he wants to come out and watch the fight. I'm going, yeah. yeah, yeah, Who is this? Right, (laughs) right, right. But we said yes. So, you know, I'm in the back cul de sac, back room, and we're about 15, 20 minutes. The front door opens. And in walks the champ. Wow. Everybody in the restaurant in unison stands up. Claps as he comes as he comes through as he comes through. So just like you and I are sitting here, I'm sitting here and watching the fight with the champ. And I said, champ, you know, who's going to win the fight? He says, Riddick, been quiet, you know, Riddick Bowe. He's too big. He says, he's, he's much bigger, much stronger. He Riddick Bowe, and, and of course Riddick Bowe won the fight and stuff. But getting back to your question, if if I had a chance to sit down and have dinner with somebody, um I, I would say Sidney Poitier would probably be a person that he's the man. Yeah, I, I mean that would. Um, I mean he's getting up in age and stuff now, you know, so that probably won't happen. But to be able to to sit down and, and visit with a person who broke a lot of barriers, um, probably had a lot to, a lot that he had to deal with. Um, to sit down and be able to have a conversation with him about how he dealt with it and how tough it was would would probably be w- very well worth it for me.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great. I liked it, man. What an mm-hmm. unbelievable night with Muhammad Ali.
1: Oh yeah, that was. Uh,
0: so while we're on that with breaking down barriers and all the stuff, I mean, I know I read something in 1965. You're 10 years old. The riots are going on mm-hmm. in L.A. And you guys, your family has to literally lay on the ground.
1: On the floor. Yeah. On the floor to, mm-hmm.
0: to, to, to not get shot, right? Yeah,
1: yeah I so, mean, bullets were flying everywhere. And uh, we lived across the street from a recreation center where the National Guard set up, set, you know, they, they set up camp and stuff. So, you know, their formations and marching, you know, in the, in the night and all that stuff was very uh, intimidating for young kids. Growing up in in South Central Los Angeles, and at that time, you know, I I don't know if we really knew all of the the things that were that were were going on from a racial standpoint, but it was um it was it was eye opening to have all of that going on where the community was basically burning down. Yeah, and um. And stuff. So, uh, as a kid, for me and my brothers, it, it's what brought family closer together. You know, so it was one of those things that, um, if you weren't close as a family, you know, when something like that starts to happen, you know, it it really, it really, really, it, you 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 all become so so much closer. Yeah. My mom used to always say that. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so you gotta figure out what it is you stand for and, and live by that.
0: Hmm. That's great. Your mom was a very uh, impactful person, wasn't she?
1: Yeah, well, most single moms in, in, uh, in, in African-American communities uh, become the background, the, m- the mothers, the grandmothers. Those are the people that really kinda lay the, the foundation that's why you hear so many guys talk about, you know, uh, their moms and, and and grandmothers because they're the ones that usually raise them. So I'm going to
0: close with this: 1985. Mm-hmm. I'm a, what was I seven, getting ready to be an eight year old boy. <laughs> I'm an only child. I'm with mom and dad. We're at a game. We're on the first base side. I'm a, I'm not tall anyway when mm-hmm. I was that age. But mm-hmm. uh, this ball gets hit mm-hmm. to the right center field. Mm-hmm. My dad grabs me by the arm. He pulls me up. I stand on the chair. I see this ball go over Mm. the fence. Mm -hmm. Go crazy, folks. Go Go crazy. crazy. Of course, we didn't hear that because we were at the game. Uh I still have a ticket. I had my parents text me a picture of it.
1: What was that like? The stadium moved that day. Um, And it was at that moment that I think that people realized that I was not that one-dimensional player that I had been cast as. And that was always the goal. My goal was to be as well-rounded as I possibly could be. I think most of the players in our generation wanted to be well-rounded. They wanted to be able to play on both sides of the ball. In my conversations with Cal Ripken, in my conversations with Tony Gwynn, the goal was always to be well-rounded. And so 1985, it took that home run for people to start looking at me as much more than just a defensive player. And that was really the, 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 my personal goal, was to be a better, as, as good a offensive player as I was a defensive player. And with my hand and eye coordination, there was no reason, if I put in the work and the time, that I couldn't be a better offensive player. Yep. So um, the blood, the sweat, and the tears, all of it paid off in in one swing. And uh, I feel like I've hit 500 home runs uh, because I've heard that so much. And one of the, the greatest compliments that could ever be paid is to have a little boy come to a card show and stand there and say, Smith corks one down the line, could go, could go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The Cardinals have won the game by the score three to two on a home run by the Wizard.
0: Well, thank you for listening to the Circuit of Success. I can you can probably see if you're watching this, I've had a smile my entire time of getting interviewed my childhood baseball hero Ozzie Smith. And Ozzy, thank you so much for being with us and what you do for the community. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. And uh, again, for our listeners, thanks for listening. You can find us every week on KTRS from four to five on Sundays and on iTunes on the circuit of success. Thanks for listening. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.